and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse number 17, going down through verse number 19. 1 Samuel chapter 15. You'll read the even verse here, verse number 18. 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll pause at any punctuation. 1 Samuel 15, verse number 17 through 19. And let's begin. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? But didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, just uh, for this time, this opportunity. Lord, help us not to take it lightly. There are many people all across the world that would love to be able to come to a church service and not feel harmed or or threatened about someone coming in. Lord, we thank you so much for the liberty that you've given us here in our church. We ask you, please be with our pastor, Lord. Help him as he gives us the message. Help us to listen, to receive it, Lord. Please, we want to be hungry. We want you to fill us. Uh, Lord, would you uh, just uh, would you bring those floodwaters upon a dry and thirsty land? We love you. We thank you for what you've done. We ask you bless. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hang on. I just had a thought, and if I don't write it down, I'm in trouble. Yeah. There we go. All right. You say, what is it? You'll find out. It's your money I'm spending. I mean, uh, no, uh, seriously, it's just a thought that the Lord gave me I need to write down. Saul is king of Israel. God chose him as the first king. He was originally supposed to be the bearer of the lineage of Jesus. Think of how important it was going to be to be the first king of Israel. He said, well, preacher, it doesn't come through Saul. It comes through David. Yes, because of what we just read. You see, Saul was a good man. I don't think God would have picked a bad man to be the first king and a bad man by which to uh, bring the lineage of Jesus through. Oh, I didn't say a perfect man. I didn't say a sinless man. But Saul was a man. He was a sinner. By the way, so are you and I. We're all sinners. He sometimes forgot to view life, though, from uh, the best perspective. Listen to this statement. I'm going to make a lot of loaded statements tonight that I want you to get. Power and position can cause a person to get prideful and not see life as a leader should. Power and position can cause a person to get prideful and not see life as a leader should. I'm going to make another statement. It doesn't have to be that way. Just because someone has power doesn't mean they're corrupt. A leader of any kind has to keep his eyes in check and not allow himself to get too big or too powerful in his own eyes. Uh, You say, what do you mean? An upper grade school kid can pick on little kids. A high schooler can pick on junior hires. Everybody picks on junior hires. Uh, You say, why? Because junior hires are just three-year-olds in bigger bodies. But uh, 
seriously, it's amazing how that as children get older and they, they, they rise to the, that's why every 13, 14, 15 year old knows how, knows better than mom and dad. They rise to a position of power, but they don't see it from a real perspective. That's why every college student knows more and knows how to run the whole world. They haven't run a popsicle stand yet, but they know how to run the world. Say why? Because they read it in the book somewhere. They had Dr. Messamup tell them how to do it. Now, God told Saul to go and destroy the Amalekites because of what they had done to Israel. The Amalekites were a continual pain in the big toe of God. Nice way of saying it. God wanted at least every one of them dead. Now listen to this statement. God told Saul, go in, kill every person from the king to the last living child. He said, anything that hath breath. He said, kill their cattle, kill their camels, kill their sheep, their dogs, their cats, their squirrels, their mice, their rats. If it has breath, kill it. He said, I don't want any living thing of the Amalekites left. That's pretty serious stuff. That sounds like God's getting a little uh, ticked off, don't you think? Here's the problem. Saul went in and he spared King Agag. He spared some of the royal lineage, some of the best people. Then they took of the spoils and the best of the sheep and the best of the flocks and the herds and Saul said, we'll do this, and then we can use these as sacrifices, and it won't cost God or God's people anything. We'll take it from the Amalekites. Listen to me. You can't take somebody else's money and give it as yours. Our government ought to take that to heart. You see, they did not obey God. God was upset with Saul because of his disobedience. Matter of fact, look at verse number 19 with me. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil? Now watch this. Notice these next couple words. And didst what? Evil. evil in the sight of the Lord. He didn't say did sin. He said did evil. Sin's bad. Evil's real bad. When God says something's evil, that's worse than just making a mistake. Evil is a planned conspiracy to do wrong. It was something that was pre-planned. Now, listen to this very carefully here. Because of this evil, God comes to Saul and says, Saul, I'm going to take the throne from you. Your sons will never sit on the throne. I am going to change who is not only king, but the lineage of Jesus will not flow th through your loins, but through the next king of Israel. We know that young man to be a man named David. Not even related to Saul. No blood relation of any kind. You say, why? Because God was not going to lift up a man who looked at himself as his own God and would not submit to God. Now, listen to these next few statements, and I'm going to have you 
turn in your Bibles in a moment. Go to Genesis chapter 3. While you're turning, I want you to listen to me. We sinful humans have a problem with our sight. Now, some of us have problems with our physical eyes. I get that. But our sight, meaning how we see life. You see, we have a problem how we see things because of sin. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse number 5. Satan is tempting Adam and Eve to do wrong, to do the first sin committed by man, correct? Look at verse number 5. For God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, then your what? Eyes shall be opened. Ooh. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman what? Now you don't do that with a hammer. You do it with your eyeballs, right? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was pleasant to the what? And a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her, to her husband and he did eat. Now watch this. And the what? Eyes of them, of, of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I want you to realize the first sin began a problem with man's eyes. Our eyes are the portals to everything virtually. Our eyes show us our own life. And Satan said, look, you don't need God. You could open your own eyes and you could choose for yourself what is right and wrong. You could be like God. You could know good and evil for yourself and you won't need what God says. Isn't it amazing what we think we see, we think is truth. The news will splash something up as somebody being guilty and they haven't even gone to court yet. But we believe they're guilty. Now, wait a minute. You only believe they're guilty because you only saw what the news wanted you to see. You haven't seen all the evidence yet. But yet what we see is very powerful. You have an iPhone or a smartphone or a dummy phone in your pocket. And you, you think because you can Google it or Siri it or Wikipedia it that you have all knowledge. I hate to tell you, you don't even know where that information came from. God tells us in his own words that our sin has affected how our eyes see life and how we see ourselves. Now, everybody listen very closely to me. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15 where we began, and I'm going to talk to you for a moment. God says in verse 17 about Saul, Samuel says to him, When thou was little in thine own, what? Sight. Was thou not made head of the tribes of Israel? He said, look, when you didn't see yourself as a big shot is when God chose you to be king. Now you see yourself as a big shot and you don't qualify. Everybody doing okay? You see, God was telling Saul that his sinful pride had affected 
how Saul saw life through his own eyes. In over 43 years of preaching, I've noticed a statement that shows how many of us, if not all of us, have problems with this. I'll often hear people say, and by the way, I've probably said it, just so you know. I don't see it that way. Well, preacher, as I see it, that's the problem. Do you see the problem? I don't, as I do. I'm sure I've said it. The problem is our eyes and how we see life are impaired by sin. Please don't take this the wrong way. I don't care how you see it. I care how God sees it. I don't care how I see it. I care how he sees it. I don't always see it the way God sees it. Amen, Brother Jim? But my job isn't to see it his way. My job is to obey as he sees it. The hardest person to look at and honestly tell, your, tell the truth to is the person you look at in the mirror. The person you look at in the mirror is the easiest person in the world to lie to. I saw a fella Friday and Saturday at the wedding. I haven't seen him since we were in Bible college together in 1980, none of your business. He's a couple years older than I. And he said, boy, you've changed. I said, so have you. you you're three times what you used to be. And he was. He said, yeah, but what's that color thing going on on top? I said, at least I got something to be colored. He said, you're not very nice. I said, neither were you. We were joking at each other. Now, wait a minute. Uh, time, I couldn't even remember the guy's name. He knew me, but I don't remember you. Finally, he said his name. I said, I know who that is. He looked so different, I didn't even remember him. Very few people have a true look at themselves. <laughs> uh, I love you, but this one's going to sting. You ready? Hold on. We want to see ourselves as successful in every way possible. We compare ourselves with other sinners instead of compare ourselves to a perfect God. Well, I'm better than so-and-so. Well, I'm smarter than this person. Well, that's not much of a contest. You see, we, like Saul, think because what we think is right, that God must agree with us. <laughs> well, I hate to tell you, God never put a pen in your hand and say, write the Bible. Everybody doing okay? He didn't put one in mine either. You see... <laughs> Saul probably thought God was pleased at all the savings he was doing for God's people by keeping all the sacrifices. God, aren't you proud of me at all the money I saved your people? It wasn't a money issue. <laughs> That's like saying I'm going to go to, uh, go cross town to somebody's house, rob their house and give all the money to the church. Look how much money I got for God. 
That's exactly what Saul was doing. Y'all see what, what the problem is here? You see, he thought he had uh, shown love to his enemy by saving his life. God said, kill him. Don't let anything that breathes have life. Matter of fact, I'm going to make a statement here. God was mad. God was upset with Saul. So upset, he said, I'm taking the kingdom away from you. Your children will never sit on the throne. And the lineage of Jesus will not flow from your, your, your lineage. That's enough to make God pretty mad. Now, Saul was putting his own view above God's. When thou wast little in thine own sight... Wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? He said, look, when you were little in your sight and you didn't feel worthy of it, that's when God made you king. What happened? Power can corrupt people. It does not have to, but it can. Now, I am not doubting Saul's intention. I'm not saying Saul had a bad motive. I'm not saying Saul's motive or intention was good or bad. But I will say this. Saul did not obey God. You can have a good intention in a good attitude, but if you disobey, you still disobeyed. Do you know a child can break a rule at school? Not necessarily with a bad attitude, but if it's a broke rule, they get the same demerits as the one that had a bad attitude. Now, usually the one with the bad attitude may end up with a few more because of the bad attitude. But either way, wrong is done by the breaking of the rule. And by the way, the breaking of a rule doesn't mean someone is evil. The intent of evil was Saul's problem. Now, when our viewpoint is against God's words and the principles of the word of God, we get ourselves in trouble. We honestly live life through our, our eyes instead of through the word of God. And when we can put our eyes aside and say, okay, God, what do you think? Not what do I think? It's not what do I think about the word of God. It is what does God say. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what I think. It really doesn't. Well, say, well, preacher, this is how I see it. Problem. Bible says that the scriptures are of no private interpretation. It's not a matter of how I see it. It's how does he see it. Our sin causes us to think that we see life as God sees it. <laughs> and I hate to tell you, we don't. How many times have you heard this old preacher say, you better be glad I'm not God. <laughs> Man, I'd wipe everything out and start all over. God's vision or God's view is much different than man's most of the time. You say, why? Because he didn't sin, we did. Sin has caused our eyesight, not only physically, but our eyesight, our viewpoint on life to be corrupted by sin. And the more pride you have, the less you see. 
It's kind of like that person that hits middle age. Oh, I don't need glasses yet. Uh, my, my eyes are fine. And you bump up the font on your phone. I don't need glasses. <laughs> you got three letters per page on your phone, but... Everybody doing all right? Okay. Got a coot in the tree. Here we go. Did you know that God looks at rebellion differently than we do? First Samuel 15, verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Did you know God says that being mule-headed, being stubborn, being thick-headed, being, being so stubborn that you won't change? God says that's no better than idolatry. You say, what is that? Because you want to be your own God. You're worshiping your own viewpoint. God said it's no better than witchcraft. Isn't it amazing? Uh, go home and look at all the things that are in your house that deal with witchcraft. The games and the videos and all the different stuff. God said rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You see, <laughs> disobedience to parents. You know, there was a point in the Old Testament scriptures, God said if a child disobeys his parents to a certain level, they, they were supposed to be killed. There was a couple of times I thought my dad was going <laughs> to. I heard him say more than once, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. A couple of times I thought he was trying. Now, wait a minute. Man wants to look at someone's sincerity. But they don't see life as God sees it. God doesn't care how sincere you are. You can be sincerely wrong. Everybody doing okay? <laughs> if your thinking does not line up with that book right there, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. Now, I'm going to make some points here. Hang on. The hardest thing for us to do as humans is to look at oneself in the mirror and realize that we're not always right and we don't always see things right. Even when we think we are right. Even when we think we are right. We have to keep ourselves in check with God's word and the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. They must both be in line or we are wrong the Holy Spirit can't work outside the Word of God. Amen. You say, well, I just feel the Spirit. No, you don't feel the Spirit. You'll never see the word feeling and Spirit together in the Scriptures. You show me in the Bible what the Holy Spirit showed you that is right, then we'll decide if it's right or wrong. See, the Holy Spirit works with the Word of God, not with how we feel. Amen. Well, uh, the Spirit just spoke to me. Show me in the Scripture what He said. Well, he didn't tell me in the Bible. I just feel, oh, okay, then that wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was you. That was you wanting it to be something that it was not. I tell people all the time, well, the Spirit said, okay, show me in the Scripture. Book, chapter, and verse. Well, it's not there. Then it wasn't the Holy Spirit. I said, well, preacher, I, I, I don't see it that way. I said, I don't care how you see it. How does God see it? It's not a matter of how you see it. What did God say? Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He didn't say every feeling that you have. 
He said, every word that proceedeth out of his mouth. We have an every word Bible in the King James Bible. He only works within the confines. In heaven, O Lord, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Guess what? The Holy Spirit can't work outside the confines of the Word of God, or He's not God and God's a liar. It has to work together. Now, are you ready? Here we go. Number one, we're all sinners and guilty of the same satanic pride as the devil himself. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14, Genesis 3, 5 through 7. Satan was guilty of pride. Isaiah 14. I will lift my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the seat of the Most High. I will be like God. That's what the devil said. And God said, no, i got a place for you called hell. You're going there. And anybody who wants to follow you is going there. Then, man, then devil comes to the Garden of Eden and tempts Adam and Eve and said, look with your eyes. And the day you eat it, you can see life as I see it. You won't need God. Sin causes us to look at life through our eyes instead of God's. <laughs> we, as sinners, want God and others to see life as we see it. We're supposed to see life as God sees it. I am not here to show you life through my eyes. I'm to show you life through God's eyes. It is not my job to give you my opinion about how I see things. It is, how does God see things? When I advise people, I rarely give an opinion, but I can show you trends in people's lives and say, okay, out of the thousand times I've done this, 997 times out of a thousand, this was right. You say, well, I'm the exception. When you start thinking you're the exception, you're not. You're not. Okay, I'm colorblind. Now, I see color. The term colorblind is a misnomer. It doesn't mean that you don't see color. I'm what they call uh, red-green colorblind. That means three primary colors my eyes don't perceive right. Red, blue, and yellow. So those colors, when they're in combination with other things, I don't always see the same colors you see. Um... That's why uh, things that are orange, okay, purple. Purple is either red or blue to me. I don't see purple. Sometimes what you call purple, I call pink. It depends on what shade of purple. I get that. Uh, Because my eye doesn't see all the colors the way you see the colors. Now, I see one of the colors in the combination. But if you ever gone to get paint, do you ever? Uh, I can pick out paint better than most people, and I'm colorblind because I always go to the root color. Uh, how many of you have ever painted a wall pink, and as over time it got darker pink? You all know what I'm talking about. They call it pinking out. Well, what happens is when you pick a a pink that has a red base, it'll get redder through time. But if you get a pink that comes from a brown base. It won't pink out. It'll stay the same color. Because the base is brown and they add the red to it. And 
tinted in from there. Now, I can't see what you see, but I understand the philosophy of it. Every color in every room in this place, except Mrs. Barnes's office, I picked. Say why? Because that's her office. She gets whatever color she wants. I don't care if it's got polka dots, stripes. I don't care if it looks like a popcorn stand. Whatever she wants, it's hers. I don't care. She got to work in it, not me. Everybody doing okay? That's the way it ought to be. But can I tell you something? I don't see the colors in here like you do. But I know what colors to get. Now, my wife and Mrs. Barnes help me with the shades. But they'll tell you I got it within one or two shades every time. Because I knew what I was going for, even though I didn't see it like you see it. Everybody doing okay? I'm talking about the brown in the chairs that matches the brown in the carpet, that matches the brown in these little sound do jiggers on the walls. Along with the paint. It all matches together. You say, but, but, uh, trust me, I know how it works. I can't see what you see. <laughs> I have a hard time seeing rainbows. I can tell something's there, but I don't see the colors that you see. I usually pick out the yellow, and that's about it. Depending on the color of the sky, I might get a blue or a yellow, and that's about it. But I know what it is, because that's the only thing that goes in the sky like that. See, my eyes don't see what yours see, but it doesn't mean I don't see something. That's how many of you are going through life. You're colorblind by sin. And we want to see life through our eyes. Well, I don't see it, so it must not be there. Eh, wrong answer. Number two, and I'll hurry quickly through the next couple points. We as Christians need to submit to God's view. Do you know, as a Christian, we're supposed to submit to God's view, not what we see? We need to let God be God and not worry about what other humans say. We need to let God's word rule us, not how we think it should be. That one hurts. <laughs> Men, I'm going to talk to you for a second. We think we're always right. Matter of fact, we know we're always right. Amen. Right? Tell our wife tells us otherwise. Wait a minute. We like to be right, but sometimes we're not always right. And it's not about how we see it. Okay, let me show you what I mean. There's about six different ways I can get to my house from here. Now, I pick one or two of them on a regular basis, but that's not the only way to get there. And depending on what time of day... Depending on how bad the traffic is, determines which way I'm going to go. Well, this is the fastest way. Yeah, if there's no traffic. But if there's traffic, I can wiggle around. It might be longer, but it's faster. Some of you will take the shortest route, but it takes you longer to get there than me going a long way around and staying on Route 9 doing 65 miles an hour. Instead of 30 miles an hour, stopping every other block. <laughs> Sometimes speed makes up for the distance in time. I'm not talking about exceeding the speed limit either. Just so you know. Ouch. Here's a statement. If you say, well, preacher, the Lord wants me to do something. My, my standard answer is always show me in the Bible where you got that. 
Well, uh, it's not there. Then you have bad pizza before bed. (laughs) We're to yield to the Holy Spirit and let him show us through the word of God, through the preaching, through the reading of the word of God, not feelings. Oh, I just read this and I tingled so much. So? I I can't tell you what caused the tingle, but I can tell you this. Whether you tingled or not, I didn't tingle when God tells me to do something. I just obey it. It's a matter of obedience, not a matter of feeling. Well, I just read this and I was just so overwhelmed with love, so it must be God. It may be, but it's not a matter of what you felt. It's what God says. We need to trust those who have a better spiritual and biblical view of life than we ourselves. Are we doing okay? <laughs> I'm not saying not necessarily intellectually smarter. I know some smart people intellectually that are dumber than a box of rocks. You go to the average university and they say somebody's smart and they don't even know if they're a man or a woman. Now, folks, I don't care how smart you are, that's dumb. And you believe you came from a big bang and a a monkey and a single-celled amoeba that swam for millions and millions of years. You might think you're smart, but you're not real bright. In the beginning, God created. It takes more faith to believe in evolution that's not science than it does to believe in creation. Evolution does not even follow the laws of science. It cannot be observed, and it is not repeatable. That violates two of the premises of the scientific process. It cannot be science. Everybody doing okay? All right. I've got to hurry up here. You're getting me mad. You need to find somebody that knows how to apply the Bible biblically, not how it makes you feel. Do you know sometimes the application of the Bible doesn't make me feel real good? (laughs) Love your enemy. You think that one makes me feel good? That's a hard one to swallow every time. That's like a giant bowl of cooked peas in front of me. (sighs) Like somebody squeezed the rabbits or something, you know? Uh, I just cannot... Yeah, I, I often tell God, not again. I don't want to love my enemy. God, do you know? Yeah, I know you know. I'm, I was there. I get it. Every once in a while, church isn't about how much. Choose the church of your choice. What a scam. How about we do the church of God's choice? Every once in a while, you need an old-fashioned Baptist man of God who's not afraid to tell you what God says and kick you in the ever-loving snot locker. The Bible is not a notebook to fill with notes. It is a blueprint by which he wants you to build your life and others' lives. This whole book isn't about how many facts you know about it, how many stories you know, but how you apply it in every situation of every circumstance in your life. I don't care how many verses you can quote. Oh, I can quote thousands of verses, literally. But it's not how many verses I can quote, how many I know. It's how many can I apply in every situation of life. 
Everybody doing okay? All right. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, when we submit to those who see better or know better, then we become trained to look and to listen what God says. I was at the wedding yesterday, or stand-up funeral, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Nathan's mom was there. And I imagine she's probably in her mid-80s. She's uh, a bit feeble. She, they had gotten her up on the platform after the, the, I almost said funeral, after the wedding to do pictures, and she had to take two steps down. Well, there was somebody up top that was starting to help her, but nobody at the bottom, and I jumped up and ran up and gave her my arm and said, gotcha, Grandma, come on. And I helped her down. I was in the middle of a conversation. It said, excuse me, boom. I went back to my conversation after I got her to her seat. And I said, sorry I was rude, but she needed somebody. He said, no problem. He said, I wasn't paying attention. I said, it wasn't either until it was almost too late, but that would have been tragic. Wait a minute. She needed somebody that could see right. She needed somebody that could help her. That's how we're supposed to approach life. Lastly, and I'll finish quickly. Be careful not to think everything from your past that you learned is correct. (laughs) Not everything you learned first was best. Do you know that some of you created bad habits in kindergarten and first grade? Brother Scott, you are a bad habit. There are habits that we begin to form early in life, and we think because we learned it that it was the best way. But it's not true. Oh, Ah, Wiley owes me an extra large pizza. Uh, Now listen to this very carefully here. Not everything that you learned, and I'm going to use the word religiously or even spiritually, even if it was in a Baptist church, may have been right. I hear bad doctrine in a lot of places. I'm careful about doctrine. I may preach some things a little bit different, but I'll back it with tons of scripture. Everybody doing okay? Hang on. Just like you got to be careful how you study history. I love World War II history and its lessons. But if we would have studied before World War II, we would have never had to go into World War II. I don't look at just the battles of World War II and the generals of World War II and say, look, what can we take from this from history? Though I do that, I look at it and say, what could we have done before World War II to prevent it? If we would have had leadership in America that would have stopped the buildup of the German army and the Nazi party who were not supposed to even have an army of more than, I think it was 10,000 troops. Does that sound right, Brother Greg? Something like that. It was some ridiculously low number. But the Western powers sat on their blessed do-nothing and Hitler said they're not going to do anything. They're a bunch of wimps. I'll blitzkrieg while they sitzkrieg. 
So what did he do? He invaded into Poland. He convinced Stalin to invade with him. And he said, I'll take the, the western part of Poland. You can have the eastern part. By the way, Russia fought with Germany through the first part of the war. They ended up on our side. Say, why? Because Hitler was about ready to march into Moscow and take over Stalin. And he cried foul and said, help me. And America helped him. That's why Patton said, if we stop at Berlin and don't go to Moscow, the next fight, the next fight we have is going to be with the Russians. And six years later, we were fighting the Russians in Korea. We did not listen to the people that had the vision and the right application of the truths to prevent the next wars. Now, that's why I don't get into studying Baptist church history. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Please don't get mad at me for saying that. But at any point in time in history, you choose the wrong church at the wrong time, you're going to follow history the wrong direction. What has kept fundamental churches and Baptist churches pure is the splitting of churches. The impurity breaks off and the purity starts continuing again. So you may, I could show you churches of history that were great churches. Let's go to Highland Park Baptist Church in Murfreesboro or Chattanooga. Sorry, I knew it was down in that area. Dr. Robertson, 42 years. Thousand saved, baptized a thousand people every year for 42 years straight. Amazing church. Do you know that no longer is it even called Highland Park Baptist Church? They, they, he pulled them out of the Southern Baptist Convention and just several years ago, they apologized that Tennessee Temple and the church came out of the Southern Baptist Convention, went back into it. They sold the property, moved across town, and now it's called the Church of the Highlands. So at what point in time in history you study that church, where will you end up? Everybody doing okay? You study it at the wrong time when it was changing, you're going to follow it to a dead end. So I don't think you can actually trace, well, there's a trail of blood. Yeah, but you can't follow that trail because you're colorblind. Bad as I am. And it's been dotted and splattered so far, you'll never see all the splats. Because that's how it stayed pure. Boy, that's good stuff. (laughs) We look back to analyze to prevent from making the same mistakes. Don't look back to see how to overcome the same mistakes. Look to prevent the same mistake. Too many times we look back to say, how do I get out of this problem? We're to go back and look and say, how do I keep from having that problem again? Those who do not learn from history are destined to repeat it. I've got to quit. I'll crash land the plane. By the way, when you look back, don't remember just the good. Amazing how parents forget some of the things their kids did. Yeah. Saul did fine as long as he stayed small in his own eyes. When he saw life from God's eyes, he did well. When he started looking at life through his own eyeballs, 
he got a little too big for his britches and God said, I'm going to take the throne away, Saul. Let me ask you a question. How are you viewing life at where your job is? Don't get mad at me. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm going to look at the clock. You know more than everybody on the job. You know more than the boss. You know more than the owners of the company. Be careful. You're viewing life through your eyes, not God's. If you don't run the company, guess what? Do what they say or get another job. Is it, well, I know better. Well, you might know better, but you don't know the company. So if, unless they ask you, keep your mouth shut and do what they say. Well, it's wrong. Then change jobs. In how we treat our spouse. Be careful. It's not just how you know it. Let's do it how God says do it. <laughs> in living like a Christian in every area of your life. In how we parent. Well, bless God, I know how to parent kids. Gee, well, you're doing better than most then. Because most of us just kind of plod our way through it. And each one of them puppies is different. Amen. Yeah, buddy. My daughter and son-in-law, just this weekend, something came up and some people were offering an opinion. And my daughter, my daughter said, Daddy, what do you think? I said, you really want to know what I think? I was driving back from Delaware. She said, yeah, I want to know what I think. I said, I think you and your, your husband ought to talk about it and whatever you decide is right and I'm staying out of this. Amen. I said, it's not for me to give an opinion. It's your home, it's your child, you do what you want. None of my business. Everybody doing all right? They said, well, would you give us some advice? I said, I will. Go see your preacher about it. Best advice I can give you, go talk to your pastor. If you have questions about it, go see him. I'm dad, not your pastor. That's a question for your pastor if you don't know how to figure it out between the two of you. Say, but that's your daughter and your son-in-law. Yeah, and I gave him the right answer too. Tell you what, because I'm not sticking my nose in it, none, not my business. Everybody doing okay? Well, that's, that's your daughter. You, you have the same. No, she's an adult. She has a child of her own. She has to make those decisions. Everybody doing okay? This is how you keep peace in your family, folks. Too many of us stick our nose where it doesn't belong, and then you get upset because somebody's finger's up your nose. Or fist is in your nose or whatever. When thou was little in thine own eyes. Every Christian needs to realize they got an eye problem. I'm not just talking about the capital letter I. I'm talking about how we see life. It's not a matter of how we see it. How does God see it? How does God see it? Brother Anthony and I were out shooting groundhogs a week or so ago. Took a long walk. Walked by one of my tree stands. I said, have you ever been to a tree stand? He said, no. I said, you city slicker. <laughs> I was showing him stuff out in the fields. I said, go up there once. He went up there. He said, man, preacher, you can see all kinds of stuff that you were talking about. I said, I know. I can see it from down here, but it's the first time you ever got, got, a, got an up view of that thing. That's why you shoot up there, not down here all the time. I said, it's a whole different look up there, isn't it? It's only 15 feet up, but it's a whole different view. Amen, Brother Aaron? 
Once you go up there, you say, Shazam, now I see what he's talking about. Yeah, it's out there. God's got a better view than we do. Maybe we ought to trust his view over ours. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. I want to go on. I truly long to help you. I truly long for you to see life as God wants you to see it. Not as I want you to see it. As God wants you to see it.